Hey everyone, welcome to Quaker Nation, the official Sports DP podcast. I'm the host of the show, Sean McKeown. I'm an associate of the department, and I'm here with the editor of the department, Caleb Crane. Um, today we're going to be talking about the last weekend of sports, men's basketball, women's basketball, some women's squash, and a couple other topics. So yeah, let's get right into it. Start off, we want to start with men's men's basketball, and a pretty good weekend they had, you know, coming into today, six-game win streak. Uh, I'm going to ask Caleb, how do you feel like we're doing? How good synopsis? I mean, I think it's great. I think this team is getting hot at just the right time. I mean, they're they're obviously on a six-game win streak, started in their last non-conference game of the year. But I think as the win streak's gone on, the wins have gotten more and more dominant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're just getting ready for Ivy League tournament. They're r- riding all the momentum they need to. I was at uh, the Yale game on Friday night, and then I watched the pretty much the whole of the Brown game on TV. And I saw a, a team that played complete basketball. I saw a team that played consistent basketball. I saw a team that can score multiple ways. I saw a team that can survive some down stretches from Jordan Dingle. And I saw a team that's ready to compete in March. Wow. Yeah, that's really good points, actually. Also, I want to say before our six game, you know, hot win streak, we were pretty injured. Clark Slajak was out. George Smith was out. How would you say like having those guys back, having, you know, clicking at this time? What, what's their effect on the game right now? Yeah. I mean, Clark had two double digit performances this weekend. Um Obviously, he's been riding a bit of a cold streak uh, before these two games. Having him back was great. Having him, and not only just having him on the court, but having him in like the peak form that we saw from him earlier in the year in the non-conference, that was great. Uh, George is, he has a remarkable ability to, whenever it's needed, he'll find a bucket. Um, And he had, he had three threes against, against Yale, which were great. Um, and then the Brown game, I mean, just utter domination. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't really needed to have any clutch shots because it was 30 to 10 and never really got close again. Mm-hmm. Would you describe George Smith as a scrappy, you know, hard-nosed player? I mean, anyone who comes out with a with a face mask like, and can rep it with, like, authority. With confidence, even. With confidence. He looks great in it. I feel like everyone should check him out. I, I agree. Google. I agree. <laughs> and also, yeah. So talking about the return of Clark Slajek, he uh, was a leading scorer in that game with 19. He had a great performance. He's finally coming out of a cold streak he's had for a bit. So, you know, it's 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 good to see him getting in form at the right time of the season because he's struggled for the past, you know, previous games. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely great to see him come back. His floaters were on point. Um, he didn't take too many threes against Yale, but uh, shot from the mid-range, that was great. Another another thing against Yale especially was like just the team's like grit and determination. Nick Spinoso got called for a technical foul, which was the first the program since I can remember it, probably the first all year, mm-hmm. um, and the which eventually turned into a four point play for Yale. But the team just kind of bounced straight back and and was able to to weather that storm. Great. Yeah, I remember the coach John he was going into how Nick Spinoza has grown so much a lot of put back dunks a lot of extra effort that's exactly what you need going into the you know the home stretch and speaking of the home stretch you know Dartmouth and Princeton last two games how do you feel going into you know a Dartmouth game your team's hot but it's kind of a trap game they're the bottom of the league how do you feel like the team should should be going in I mean Dartmouth is I mean yeah trap game is definitely possible mm-hmm. um but I don't I don't think that that's going to happen here I mean, first off, it's at home, and I think they have an incredible record at home. I think only like one or two, maybe three losses at home all year, including non-conference games. Um, so that's that's great. Um, 
and second off they're they're hot and they i'm not sure if they've clinched yet but obviously seeding in the ivy ivy league tournament's incredibly important um but you every game's important you want to stay hot and then the princeton game i don't know you can speak to this a bit more maybe but that's probably that's probably the toughest game of the year you were you were at the first game i don't know did you have any thoughts from that i had a lot of thoughts the first princeton game was probably a horrible watch it was a bunch of fouls it was really gritty and penn ended up losing by 12 i remember watching the game jordan dingle who's usually like our our best player best scorer everything off the court shot 22 times for 21 points horribly inefficient uh we had a good game plan going into the, the first half second half fell apart and it seemed kind of reminiscent of what our struggles have been in the past lack of effort lack of cohesion we didn't have george smith back we didn't have clark sledger back excuse me but now going into this game, I feel like Coach Donahue knows what he's doing. We, I will say we've lost seven straight to Princeton. And to have them to end the year where we're vying for a, a title, where we're trying to do like, we're very close to everything Donahue and the team wants, it's going to be a big game. No matter what, they know what they're you know trying to do going in. Yeah, I think it's definitely a huge, hugely important game. I mean, Donahue, obviously the Ivy League tournament is what matters for, for March Madness, um, but the regular season Ivy, Tur- Ivy League championship is also incredibly important, and so there's a three-way tie at the top of the standings um, for for best for best record in the Ivy League with two games left. Ties are always so sad. It, there was a possibility of it for Penn footballer this year. Now for Penn basketball, it just I hate a tie. I hope we get get to tie, you know, because we we still want the best record. It's 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 a it's a participatory you know kind of win, but it's always tight at the end of the year. Previous years has been just as tight. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm excited, even if it is a tie. I'm excited for them to have that chance going to the tournament. Yeah. I mean, the tournament is the tournament is the goal. Um, the tournament's definitely going to be... I mean, it looks like it's going to be Penn, uh, Penn, Princeton, and Yale are going to be three of the four. The four spots still kind of up for grabs. Um, obviously, you want that top seed so you can play the fourth. But at the end of the day, it's a single elimination college basketball game and anything can happen. I don't know. What do you think of Penn's chances once they get to get to the tournament? I think recently they've been the best team in the league, in the Ivy League specifically. I, I think that's not a super biased opinion to take, but I, I love this team. Ever since George Smith, Clark Sledger, has been back, they have been dogs. I, I love some dogs. You know, I'm from Philly. We love dogs. I'm, I'm going to say it one more time, dogs, anyway. I, this team's great. They play great defense. They finally click the end of the year. They're finally healthy. And going in, the teams that have beat us, you know, they it wasn't some like miraculous. They were better shooters. They're more talented. Princeton, even the team that I remember thinks like probably our worst uh, divisional loss this year, they didn't do anything but outwork us. And now that we're healthy, and now that we all these teams going into it, I think we have great chances. I don't think, you know, having what second nation's leading scorer in Dingle, mm-hmm. having you know a great bench piece and George Smith and Lorca Lord and all these great defensive pieces, I I think it'd be an embarrassment not to go in expecting a win. There should be there should be no doubt in both the coaches' minds, fans' minds, that this team is built for going far. And hey, if they get in a March Madness bid, we're probably going to get crushed. But that's that's the fun of it. Getting there is the fun of it. Yeah, I mean that's the whole point of it is to is to just make it, and that's that's the goal. Because again, single elimination college basketball tournament, forty minutes, mm-hmm. both teams start at zero. You never know what's going to happen. March Madness. It's it's called madness for a reason. Last thing to, to wrap up the, the men's section. Yeah. Going in, how many points away is Jordan Dingle for? Well, 
for for the Penn's uh, all-time leading program scorer. record. Yeah, for the single-season uh, program record, he entered the weekend about a hundred points away mm-hmm. with four games left. Unfortunately, I mean, fortunately for Penn, they won both games, and extra fortunately for Penn, the second game was a blowout, so Coach Donahue was able to rest Ingle uh, for large parts of the second half against Brown, keep his legs fresh for the last couple games of the Ivy season. But unfortunately for for the record chasers, it would it would take a lot. I mean, Dingle has shown that he can score a lot of points when he wants to, but he'd have to really put on two Herculean all time performances in the last two games of the season mm-hmm. to make a run at that record. Unfortunately, well, hey, if it's going to be anyone to score thirty five points each in his last two games, it would be Jordan Dingle. It, it would, would be. If Donahue wants to, you know, say we get a quick lead against Dartmouth, I don't think he pulls him. I think he lets him shoot as much as he wants. I disagree with you, but <laughs> I think I think it would be fun for him to shoot as much as he wants up 20, but I think Donahue's going to pull him. That's fair, but either way, it's a fun thing to look out for, a program record coming up, if not this year, maybe next year. Uh, and now for some more details on the Yale game, we're going to go to our sports associate, Griffin Bond, who uh, recorded a message about his thoughts on the game. My name is Griffin Bond. I'm a sports associate with the DP. Obviously a massive weekend for Penn men's basketball, uh, big win over Yale on Friday night, and then a statement win over Brown on Saturday. I was there courtside on Friday, and a lot of big takeaways from the weekend. Just to start off, Jordan Dingle. After the game, Donahue said, Coach Donahue said it probably was one of his best games that he's seen out of Dingle all season, even though Dingle didn't put up the kind of star-studded numbers that we're used to late in the game when they need to make free throws to put the game away. He was there, he made the free throws, came in clutch, did his job. Um, another player that stood out, George Smith, made three threes off the bench, another, added another 10 rebounds. He's coming back from injury, starting to get a bigger role in the lineup. He'll be a great addition to keep continue watch out for as they head towards the tournament. Um, obviously, Penn played great defense um, against Yale. Yale's known as one of the tougher teams um, in the league, particularly on the defensive side, but they were able to battle, especially down low and get a lot of points in the paint. Um, it was just really interesting that towards the end of that game, Penn didn't score a single field goal for the last six minutes until about 12 seconds left when D- Dingle hit a floater in the lane to sort of ice the game. Um, so it was just sort of interesting to see that Penn was able to hit those free throws, which is really the crucial point in that game. Um, and interesting that Yale wasn't able to capitalize on that scoreless streak and able to, and be able to jump out to a lead. Um, just all interesting storylines as we head to the Ivy League tournament. Obviously, Brown was a huge... Uh, win, being able to put them away seemingly easily um, and continue to gain those wins. There's two games left now as we head to the Ivy League tournament. Um, So a lot of positives to come out of this weekend and hopefully they can continue to play strong and we'll see how they do and finish the season out um, as we get near the most important two games of the season in the Ivy League tournament. Uh, Also, to quickly transition to women's sports, so women's basketball in particular, they also played this weekend, splitting the weekend series 1-1, win against Yale and a loss to Brown. For more information on that, we have Deputy Sports Editor Walker Carnathan. So I think this weekend for Penn women's basketball really showed, uh, you know, the two different versions of what this team can be. Um, Against Yale, you know, it's a game where the team shoots 50% from three. Padilla finishes 25, including 19 in the first half. It was maybe the best half I'd seen from her or anyone on the team all season, really just on fire from every area of the court. Uh, she is within, within one three of the all-time program record. The team clinches uh, uh, Ivy Madness birth. You know, spirits are really high. And then against Brown, you see a lot of the weaknesses that had sort of haunted them earlier in the season come back. You know, the ball sort of stagnated between a couple different 
uh, players. In the second half, it was really ball dominant on Padilla, relying on her to create off the dribble. Um, they couldn't really find offense when their threes weren't falling. It was They shot 29% against Brown compared to 50% against Yale. Um, in the first half, they were sort of able to compensate for that by going to floor tuners in the paint. She had one of her best offensive halves of the season. But in the second half, uh, like uh, my, uh, Coach Mike McLaughlin said, they didn't really have the same energy. They kind of went away from floor, and it all just boiled down to depending on a couple of their uh, primary ball handlers to create themselves, and ultimately that didn't work out. Um, and, you know, losses earlier this season against Columbia and Princeton, those same issues um, were the ones that ultimately did them in. Um, so I think if they want to compete against teams like Columbia and Princeton, obviously they won't see Brown again. Brown's out of the tournament. But if they want to compete against teams that have a lot of talent, um, they can't just rely and hope on their uh, hope their regular uh, strategy comes to fruition. They can't just say, oh, I hope we hit our threes or I hope we're able to spread the ball around. They have to find ways to win when that sort of doesn't uh, come to fruition like they imagine. And maybe that's going to floor in the paint. Maybe that's, you know, going to some other players on the bench that they might not have previously anticipated relying on. But at some point they need to find a way to adapt to uh, the game as it comes, because as it seems right now, they are very good when they're playing at their best. We've seen them beat Columbia during the first quarter and a half against Princeton. They were absolutely hanging with Princeton. But as soon as things start to deviate from the prescribed plan, um, you know, they've struggled. So I think if they can find a way in these last couple of games of the regular season to um, win games and create offense when the threes aren't falling and it's not going exactly how they imagine, then I think they really do have a shot um, when it gets down to it and they go to Princeton to compete in Ivy Madness. But that is a big if because to this point, um, we've seen them be very, very good when things are going their way and struggle a little bit when things start to go, when things start to not go their way and deviate from the original plan. So I still think this team is capable of really great things. Like you saw them uh, accomplish against Yale and have seen them accomplish earlier this season, but I think they need to have some form of backup plan um, if they want to ensure that things not going their way doesn't ultimately uh, doom their season. After that recap, we're going to quickly transition to men's lacrosse. They start off their season against Georgetown. Great win over a ranked opponent. They won 9-7. Uh, Caleb, you've covered this a little bit. How do you feel about the game? Um, I think it was great. It was a great start for the season. Um, I mean, prior to the year, Coach Murphy uh, said they schedule a hard season on purpose, a hard non-conference on purpose, so that when they when it comes time to play Ivy League opponents, they're ready. And this team looked ready in some ways. They looked like they have some room to improve. They look like they have a very high ceiling is is the the phrase I'd use. Georgetown hadn't been held under eight goals in nearly two years, oh. um, and they did a great job. The defense was great uh, on some of their players. Um, it, was, it was an overall great game as a team. Uh, Cam Rubin scored four goals, um, which I guess is now what's what's to be expected for him. Um, one and then I mean the team just played great overall mm-hmm. coach also mentioned that Cam Rubin did only five shots with the great efficiency great offense so far you know with the, the rankings going in beating a tough opponent holding them and also showing great offense what, what does that mean like rankings wise you know we're already a highly ranked team going in I mean we're 10th we're 10th coming into the game I don't know how much higher um Penn's gonna get probably maybe seven or eight um 
but these things aren't built overnight. They're built over the course of games and weeks. And over the course of a season, I think the, the Quakers have a chance to really rise through the standings and um, be in great contention by the time it comes for both Ivy Tournament and then NCAA Tournament uh, later in April and May. Like you said, it's it's a season, but, you know, couldn't start a better way. Oh, you know, it's, it's a great, I'm just saying like it's a whole season, whole process, but this is a great boom to start the to start the season. Oh, it's it's a great, it's a great win to start the year off. For our final Penn Sports Topic of the Day, we're going to go to Sports Associate Vivian Yao, who covered the women's squash team this past weekend in their Kurtz Cup competition. Penn women's squash finished the season ranked ninth in the country, falling just short of competing in the Division A championships. They would go on to comfortably win the Kurtz Cup with the 9-0 domination of Bowden in the quarterfinals a 6-3 win over Stanford in the semifinals before closing with a 9-0 sweep of Dartmouth in the finals. The win over Stanford really showcased the depth of a Penn team, with the bottom half of the lineup going 6-0 en route to their win. This resembles their previous face-off from this season, which happened on November 19, 2022, at Squash on Fire in Washington, D.C., where Penn edged out Stanford in a close 5-4 win. Even then, Penn's wins came from the bottom half of the lineup. In this weekend's matchup against Stanford, there was a slight moment of panic when freshman Malik Taha, who recently was named Ivy Rookie of the Year and received first-team All-Ivy honors, went down with an ankle injury in her 3-0 loss to Stanford's Sima. She would proceed to miss their match against Dartmouth. With Taha out of the rotation, the lineup order was messed up, leading to nine completely different matchups against Dartmouth, compared to when they faced off earlier this year on January 21st. This proved to not make much of a difference, though, as the team would go 9-0. Among those matches, the most exciting included Penn sophomore Grace Lavin's 3-2 win over Dartmouth senior Nia Patel after initially being down 2-1 in the longest game of the day. This would be the second time this season Lavin has overcome a 2-1 deficit while playing against Dartmouth with her first occurring in a matchup against Dartmouth senior Jesse Brano. After losing her first game 11-1, Penn senior Eugene Park fought back, grinding out three tough and impressive wins against Dartmouth junior Priya Verma to win the match 3-2. To secure the sweep, it took Penn freshman Natasha Pensler 43 minutes in a back-and-forth battle against Dartmouth junior Ellie Burke to come out with a 3-2 win. Despite not competing in Division A this weekend, Penn Women's Squash's dominance in the Kurtz Cup Championships shows that the team is eager for next season to prove that they do belong with the top dogs in Women's Squash. And ending the team season on such a decisive win indicates that the team is headed in the right direction. And for our last stop of the day, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the uh, recent Super Bowl 57 performance of the Eagles. Uh, I'm going to ask Caleb Cran his opinions. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a great game. I think it was it was the game that as a neutral fan, I wanted. As a neutral fan. As, as yeah, um, it was the game. It was a game that was down to the wire. Um, great performances on both sides. I really couldn't have asked for much more um, out of like the game itself. I was downtown watching it with a bunch of other folks from the DP, um, and we were just out on the streets post game, reacting and kind of getting people's reactions. Obviously, Sean, you're from Philly. Uh, I was just wondering what your and obviously you wrote about it for the DP. I was wondering what your what your kind of thoughts on on the game and what it means for the city are. My thoughts are depression, man. I'm a I'm gonna be honest. It was a horrible loss. You know, it stings as a fan. I I've been following for so long. I'm very passionate about sports, and I was watching in my community room with the rest of my hall, 
and they all thought I was crazy for the way I was reacting, jumping and screaming. They all didn't know sports or anything. They were, they were there for Rihanna. But as a, the lone Philly person in the room, I, I was losing my mind a bit. And when I finally lost, kind of sunk in and it, it hurt my soul just a tad. It's the third loss in a championship game that Philadelphia has had over the past 100 days. They lost the World Cup. They MLS lost Cup. the MLS Cup. They lost, um, sorry, that's the World, the World Series, excuse me. And they lost the Super Bowl, which yeah. is just very sad. You know, we still people went out into the streets and partied. They had to get their anger out somehow. They still went down to Broad Street. Um, but overall, I think I think Philadelphia sports is okay. It shows great signs of progress all overall. Personally, I'm hurt, but I know the city doesn't really give up. I wrote about it in my column. We'll, we'll still be passionate fans. We're still very into it. Everyone still loves the Eagles. Um, but I think there's there's a little lasting trauma from it because, you know, my the reason the reason I think so is because recently Mac McClung won the slam dunk contest and people went to Broad Street and partied. Because yeah. they just they felt so robbed of their party for the Eagles win that they thought would happen that they just took took their next chance to party. They saw yeah. a guy who never even played in a Sixers jersey, like, you know what? Yes, we are gonna go to Broad Street for that. Yeah. I mean, what do you think it kind of felt like being a Philadelphian um like in this year when like you were obviously like it's your first year and you're like introducing all these people to Philadelphia sports and like kind of what was that experience like both like on Super Bowl day and then like over the course of of this Eagles season I think I enjoy it I enjoy introducing people to the insanity of Philadelphia sports like the passion that people have because during you know going back all the way to the World Series run people kept asking me like why are people going to Broad Street why are people lighting things on fire and flipping cars like what's the point of that and it's 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 my favorite thing to do to try and explain to them the culture here of just like sheer joy that comes with all sheer insanity almost that comes with sports. And when it comes to like explaining people like the fandom and the constant hurt we go through and the constant, you know, fight back we have, I think it's great. I think people like at Penn especially are slowly becoming assimilated to the insanity. They're getting used to it. They're celebrating it themselves. Mm -hmm. But overall for the reaction the past year, it's been hard to like get people to join join the join the ship due to all the losses usually if you're winning it's really easy to convince someone yeah come be a fan come join in but when you have heartbreaking loss after heartbreaking loss you know people kind of aren't aren't as excited to actually participate i mean you can't lose a championship unless you make it to one though that's what i'm saying people don't believe me when i say that this was great the super bowl loss was great and i mean that they because they all all my friends i'm a sports fan i told them i loved the super bowl loss and they were mad at me like no we lost all this stuff i'm like but it was a great game. We played great. It's sports at the end of the day. And the enter entertainment-wise, celebration-wise, it was good for the city. Like like always, whenever the Eagles do well or the Phillies do well, MLS Cup, we won't talk about the Flyers. And when any of the any Philadelphia teams do well, everyone is happy. The entire city comes together. So even though we lost, I'm happy everyone got to like sit and drink for a day. You know, sit and have fun as like a community. So so who who did the Sixers lose to in either the finals or <laughs> their finals, aka the second round? They're, to make it the most painful loss, they're going to lose it to the Nuggets <laughs> with Jokic's third MVP over Embiid. Um, I will spend that time crying at home, probably with a bag of Doritos and dip, just like drowning my sorrows in food. But yeah, if I had to make a guess for how painful it would be, yeah, I'd say Nuggets, Jokic beats Embiid, and then we all just cry at home. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So yeah, that that wraps up second episode of Quaker Nation. Thank you guys for listening. Um, hope you enjoyed the commentary and just know there'll be more more content next week.